Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 9, issue 442. And today we're going to be talking about I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue are Jesse Fuchs. Thank you for help with Doll. Me go play in hole. <laughs> John Salmon. Hi. And Ryan Heyman. Hello. So this was uh, John's nomination for this volume of the podcast and we'll ask him yeah. we'll, we'll ask we'll ask you about that later yeah what went wrong no 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 uh i, I don't want to I, I think this is going to be a really interesting show yeah it definitely is uh i hope I've, I've set us up for a failure now but um anyway first thing we must do is issue a spoiler warning both for the original text the short story that this game is based upon and of course, the game itself. You can go and read the short story. It's downloadable as a PDF. I don't know if it's legal or not, but it's totally easy to find. Uh, or you can, you know, buy a secondhand volume of compilation of, of Harlan Ellison short stories if you want or, or whatever else. Uh, the story we will be talking about not only the ending of the canonical original story, but also the multiple endings of the game. The game is available on good old games if you do want to play it legit. You can download it for a few dollars. It runs in Scum VM on a modern PC perfectly well. It is, if you don't know, a 1995 sci-fi horror point-and-click adventure game based on a 1967 or thereabouts short story of the same name by the aforementioned science fiction author Harlan Ellison. On Moby Games' description, we have I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream is based on the short story of the same name by Harlan Ellison. After the Cold War, the computers of the USA, Russia and China take over the world and wipe out almost the entire human race. The Allied master computer, called Am, holds the last five humans as prisoners to torture them. Any of them has to face his or her past in a virtual adventure Am has designed for them. There they encounter their fears and weaknesses. The player can choose which of the protagonists he wants to be, but in fact he has to complete all of the six stories in order to solve the game. There are different ways of completing the game depending on the humanity the player shows. Um, along with your spoiler warning, I think it's very important to issue a content warning on this one as well. Like yeah, I think that's that's true. It did actually cross my mind earlier that we might be talking about some adult material. We'll, as usual, keep the uh, the adult language to a minimum but there's a few things we need to talk about both in the original text and in the game that are yes might might be difficult or challenging for some people uh the female character has experienced sexual assault and her hellscape is very much based around that and then there's also some stuff in the book that i want to discuss that isn't mm -hmm. in the game that uh is a, around her kind of promiscuity and stuff like that so yeah there's a few things um, and also the Holocaust. Yeah, um, that's that's yeah, pretty significant. Yeah, beyond that, like <laughs> it's, you, it's yeah. it's possible you could not know very much about this game. Go into it on our in inverted commas recommendation, and yeah. within about ninety seconds Be of loading the yeah. game up, yeah, your your objective is uh, cripple this child in a concentration camp. Yeah, medical yeah, experimentation and such. Yes, 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 yes. So yeah, if you can think of it, I mean, this is this is essentially an AI's way of making humanity feel as bad as they possibly can so if you can think of something that might do that it's possibly alluded to at least if not featured in this game 
the game was released originally on MS-DOS and Mac OS in Oct- on October 31st, 1995. Perfectly, this is the 25th anniversary of it. The Windows version arrived in 2013, then OS X and Linux in uh, the next month, either September and October 2013. And that iOS and Android version was January 2016, so nearly five years ago at the time of recording. Uh, the game reviewed pretty well at the time, but not maybe up there with some of the other point-and-click adventures of the era. The game rankings average has it at 77% from various critics. The game was uh, nominated for some awards, won some awards. Computer Game Developers Conference gave it Best Game Adapted from Linear Media. I guess that includes film and TV as well. Computer Gaming World gave it their Adventure Game of the Year. Game Informer put it in 2014 in their top 25 horror games of all time, albeit at a lowly number 22. And the game's Developers Choice Awards 97. It also won Best Adaptation of Linear Media. How do people feel about it now? Well, good old games users who have possibly actually bought the thing have got it at a healthy 4.4 out of 5. Steam, where you can also buy it, it's got it as very positive from almost a thousand punters and the imdb from just 200 folks has an 8.5 out of 10. sales wise there is no information available on the internet that i can find unless anyone would care to the, the one thing i read and i think that mullock interview was that allison eventually called up and asked where his royalties were past i guess his original advance and they said well exactly there hasn't made any profit yes. so there aren't any <laughs> that's precisely it yeah yes the only thing that i could possibly go on from experience is that if you look on somewhere like ebay now for um big box copies of it mm. they are prohibitively expensive they're okay. well into the hundreds of pounds um really? and i mean that could be a, a sign that it was a particularly low print run originally it could yeah. be it could be that you know the prices have gone up since ellison died a couple of years ago and i think i've only actually looked for it since he's been dead um right. it might mean absolutely nothing because uh, big box copies of things like doom sell for quite a lot more than you would expect and it's not mm. like there was ever a shortage of copies of doom so it could be complete yeah. coincidence but it does it's, suggest a yeah. little bit that it was it's, limited yeah it seems likely and and partly those big box games game value simply because of what they're made of and they don't survive and people bin them and so oh, yeah they're, they're more, totally more finite more sc- scant so yeah what is so we know now you at some point had a copy of this uh but why what are your what's what's your history with it why did you nominate it for this uh, volume of the podcast so yeah i did i did have this a very long time ago it was one of those games that i got as i was getting into pc gaming back in the probably around about late 90s early thousands kind of turn of the millennium um i have no idea why i ever knew anything about this i can only imagine that i was originally turned on to it from i don't know maybe word of mouth or friends talking about it and the fact that at the same time i was quite heavily into lots of sci-fi and horror stuff so it must have come up somewhere like i remember around the same sort of time or maybe earlier um having a lot of friends who were very into all of the old LucasArts games and, um, you know, uh, everybody loved Grim Fandango and Full Throttle and Day of the Tentacle and the Monkey Island games. So it was something that it was a, a kind of an ecosystem that I was familiar with, but hadn't had a huge amount of experience playing, you know, a lot of the older games because we didn't have a PC until, I don't know, when we got our PC, probably in about 1998. 
So it was one of those like strictly limited to I've played parts of Monkey Island at a friend's house and played parts of the Discworld game and that sort of thing. So it probably just sort of sounded kind of interesting. And I remember, I know I had this big box copy of it. I've got no idea, like I say, exactly when or where I got hold of it. Um, and yeah, I remember playing through it. I remember finding it very kind of obscure at the time and very frustrating and not being maybe in the right sort of mindset for a, this type of game because I wasn't that familiar with the way that these adventure games kind of worked and the numerous pitfalls and dead ends and that sort of thing that happens. I mean, it's at least it doesn't have anything completely, you know, you screwed this up, go back to the entire beginning of the game, like some of the, the um, legacy that some of these games has left behind. Um, and I think it's, it's something that kind of, it must've stuck in my head a little bit. I've thought about it periodically over the years. Um, it popped up on steam at some point and I, picked it up in a sale probably about four or five years ago and it's something that i've wanted to play and it just seemed appropriate when we're thinking about things that i want to put uh, put forwards for discussion because it is it does have a lot of interesting things to talk about it um mm. and it just sort of lined up nicely with oh i, I want to be you know making inroads as the the person on this podcast is uh nominating the pc games that potentially nobody wants to play um, which is now I think three years running, um, <laughs> and yeah, just it just sort of lined up. I was like, oh, this is this is a good sort of kick up the backside to actually play it and to be able to have some sort of discussion about it. Fair enough, now, Jesse. For listeners who don't know, in case they haven't heard a show with you on before, you teach about computer and video games in New York, but uh, but you specialize more in the European. However, mm, is no this more part more American, your... but more eighties. Right, the one class I teach oh, that is 80s. like very okay. specifically a history thing about digital games, because I do some tabletop ones, uh, is American computer games the 80s. And actually, 90s computer stuff is really a big weak point of mine, because in 1990, uh, I got a used Mac Plus for graduating from high school and bringing to college. And, you know, basically until Steam came out, I really didn't do much. You know, I played Rogue, or, you know, public domain, whatever, right? But I was very console-oriented, uh, you know, played a few games on the Mac, but... It's just not, you know, you're not really tuned into that. I probably had more of those Voyager, uh, like the Residence Freak Show and Laurie Anderson Puppet Motel and like Live from Death Row with Mumia Abu-Jamal type stuff than I did actual games <laughs> on my Mac, right? Uh, but Are these all on the list? I do hope so. I, right. Well, those Vo it'd be interesting to do a Voyager show, certainly. They turned into <laughs> Criterion. Anyway, uh, yep. is but I did... Is everyone ready for an anecdote that's going to start incredibly promising and rapidly become mm. incredibly disappointing? Okay, uh, well, that's a good setup. <laughs> I interviewed Harlan Ellison about this game. Uh, that's very okay. promising. It is promising, isn't it? But just I didn't wait. know that. When I even <laughs> booked you for this show, I didn't know that. Well, that's kind of why it's an amber. Okay, so, yeah, I was the, the 95 to 97 is like the period where I was actually kind of regularly writing for this uh, monthly culture magazine in San Francisco, uh, mostly doing music reviews, but also uh, doing features on some games. I did one on CCGs, uh, you know, and uh, do some short video game reviews. Uh, and they assigned, you know, and usually I'd kind of just pick a topic and mention to my editor, but occasionally they'd assign me a thing, right? And for whatever reason, they were like, okay, we want you to do this feature piece on like games that are getting beyond like the usual, you know, and are like really forward thinking. And it's going to be centered around these two games, Endorphun, 
which is made by the guy who made Ashido, and I did play in as a perfectly pleasant abstract game uh, that also has like lights and sounds and apparently subliminal messages or something that mm-hmm. make you yeah. better. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, and I have no mouth and I must scream. Uh, and, you know, I was going to do an interview with Allison. Uh, and so, and I did do that interview. Uh, and, but the problem was they sent me a, they did not have the game on Mac yet. And they sent me a disc, you know, a, a pre-release disc, and it just didn't work. Uh, and the interview, and like it was, but it was set up for the release of that. Uh, so I basically interviewed him blind. I read the short story, and you know, but basically, mm. and I have not been able to find a copy of this interview, unfortunately. Uh, and my hard drive from the '90s is long gone, unfortunately. But I basically remember. Uh, you know, I was on my back foot because I hadn't played the game and I was just trying to be a nice interviewer who he didn't not like or whatever. Uh, and what I recall around it is a few, a year or so later, I interviewed Stephen Thompson, who at the time was the editor of the AV club, you know, the media section of this newfangled thing, the onion that I was writing a feature on. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I asked him about his dream interview. And he said that his dream interview would be someone like Jello Biafra or Penn Jillette, where the only word he would say for the entire interview was at the beginning, go. And I remember responding, oh, yeah, I kind of had that interview with Harlan Ellison. Um, And I think it was just like I said, this sounds interesting. And he talked for 30 minutes about how good a game it was and what he did on it and all that. And uh, and then that was that. And I have no record of it. Uh, They did send me. Uh a copy of the actual packaged game uh, a month or two after the article came out. Uh, However, uh, the thing is, is that music, uh, you know, I got sent lots of CDs and occasionally video games and music companies understand that critics are total scumbums and they put, you know, they poke a hole and say promo on the cover and like do all sorts of things to prevent you from selling it off. Even though you still do, you just get 50 cents for it. Right. Uh, But the video game uh, people who are sending things to critics were just apparently babes in the woods. And they would just like, I would get PlayStation games in the mail once or twice a month that were just in pristine packaging, right? And if I liked it, I would play it and review it. And if it didn't seem like my kind of thing, I, there were places with fairly liberal gift exchange policies. Uh, the long and the short of it is I'm 90% sure my copy of I Have No Math and I Can't Scream basically got transmogrified into a Perubu box set. Um, <laughs> and uh, now that I've played wow. it, I, I not to spoil anything, but I, I do not regret that move. Uh, maybe no, morally. No, a lot of but, fun uh, to be had with Perubu by comparison, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but that is that is my history with this game. I mean, that's why I signed up for this as well. It, uh, yeah. Like the Rayman episode, this is some sort of expiation of past sins. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've always been kind of interested. And yeah, I did talk to him about it. But I, I unfortunately cannot tell you a thing other than he seemed, you know, he was nice to me because I was respectful and let him talk. And I found it a pleasant, like listening to your you know, uh, slightly loony, but very smart uncle kind of vibe. <laughs> so Ryan, follow that. Uh, this is a game I first encountered many years ago. I watched a playthrough of it by the, uh, Red Supre team, um, slow beef and diabetes who do, uh, videos, mostly kind of comedically video game, let's play type stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, they had done kind of a whole series of these, uh, mid nineties point and click adventures. And, um, this was one of them. It's, it's a name that, uh, hasn't really disappeared over the years, you know, for as 
rare as the boxed coffees appear to be these days and for as little as it appears to have sold. And I don't know if it's uh, kind of getting an extra boost off of the shared nomenclature with the short story, but Mm. it's one of those where if you are in a video game community and you say the name, you know, I have no mouth and I'm a screen, like people tend to know what you're talking about, which um, isn't Mm. always the case for like these kind of weird, obscuro, uh, kind of difficult to approach games. Um, So it's a memorable title. I, uh, I I had watched the playthrough a while back. Um, I only played it through myself recently, but um, yeah, I, I ended up getting all the way through, uh, you know, definitely used walkthroughs and stuff like that. But um, I had ups and downs with the experiences. I think that playing it right before the US elections and during 2020 and lockdown from the pandemic and stuff, yeah. it's one of those situations where it's like, I don't need to play it. I've lived it. Um, but uh, I do appreciate that we are, uh, for patrons at least, releasing this. Come on, week Ryan. No US one's election. melted your eyeballs yet. <laughs> Not yet, but we're inching closer every day. Um, yeah. And for me, yeah, it was mainly the title. I didn't have a PC at the time it came out, uh, not for another four years after this. So by that time, it was probably not even easily easy to get hold of. And genres had moved on and I had my sites elsewhere. It was always, yeah, you know, I was always aware of it, but nothing ever really dragged me back to play it until this, uh, this conversation about putting this set of shows together. And it seemed like a good excuse and I think we just by sheer serendipity, exactly at the point I uh, I finished up the the order of play for this year, it was in a good old game sale for I think it was ninety seven pence, something like that. So, uh, like yeah, it was uh, I guess it was a, a, just yeah on a ridiculous discount. So like it's I mean the full price is six pounds or something anyway. It's hard. Oh to, yeah, you know sure. it's, it's not yeah. an expensive game, so it's it's kind of an easy sell. Yes. Uh, we've got just one or two bits of correspondence for this rather niche and obscure game, but uh, we're very grateful for them nonetheless. First, we've got Kanlik or Kanlich from the forum who says, I just went through, I have no mouth and I must scream, and I'm walking away from it mixed. On one hand, I'm impressed with the creativity of the environments each of the heroes had to explore in their futile attempt to defeat Am. The puzzles, for the most part, had solutions that were logical in their progression, despite their fantastical solutions. Finding the correct heart to give the jackal in Gorister's story comes to mind. And the allegorical nature of the story allowed for a suspension of disbelief for these dreamlike scenarios. I still had to refer to guides to complete the game, unfortunately. What irked me were the stories of Ellen and Nimdok. I never understood why Ellen was selected as one of the few hum- humans to be tortured for 109 years. Her transgression seems to be that she was traumatised by a sexual assault and that she was ambitious in her career. The game taunts her for being a victim of a crime and her characterization as a cowering person at the sight of the color yellow is incredibly reductive to the pain assault survivors live with. With Nimdok, he's a Nazi that killed and maimed children who was responsible for his parents getting sent to the death camps. His quasi-amnesia is weak, uh, weak framing for his story and his discovery of his own ruthlessness is not a sympathetic journey. His death by the Lost Tribe was the only appropriate end to him I don't know what I was supposed to gain from playing in his shoes. We will obviously get on to the characters and the story and the themes. But yeah, I think we should start with the visuals because they are very much obviously of their time. Uh, It's a mid-90s PC game. Um, 
uh, and I, I don't even know where to begin because for some of the scenes that were happening, they felt woefully inadequate. Like the, like almost what Jesse was alluding to there, perhaps the kind of the sort of the, the, the comedy of the interactions, like some of the, the animations and stuff for these things that were supposed to be truly horrific, kind of so. And, and I never feel I, I, I I'm somebody who's probably known if I'm known for anything is for liking old video games and old video game graphics. But here, um, obviously they, they work with what they could do at the time, but, but playing it now, I, I could, I could envisage a, a version of the, of this story done in with, with more contemporary visuals or perhaps something more abstract even, but the, the, the sort of point and click, the sort of herky jerky animations and the, and the, how help me somebody <laughs> the, the uh, well there's just for a, a perfect moment is the when the mutant child's mother discovers she got the black ball that means she will be sacrificed right this close-up that is supposed to be very dramatic and i literally laughed out like i i in fact replayed it and you know went through the last two minutes just to see it again because it just cracked right. me up uh <laughs> okay. but yeah no it's i mean earlier we mentioned the fact that like this is kind of part of a wave of these mid 90 edgy and th that idea of like oh now we can do realistic graphics right now we can do fmv mm. and voice acting not that this has fmv but like and you just get mm. really far over your skis really quickly and that is kind of what i enjoyed about this game is it very being situated in oh now we can do really adult you know like we have this graphical fidelity and we can do these like kind of fake eager things and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and no, but, uh, I don't, I, I certainly don't think this game would be improved by having better graphics in the same way that I don't think the primitive radio gods would be improved by remixing them to current Sonic standards. I don't know. <laughs> like, it is of its time. The tonal discrepancy that you specifically mentioned with the, the woman's shocked look on her face. I mean, all of the five characters have these little portraits that are... I mean, it, I couldn't stop thinking about it being like the Doom guy or, um, you know, the little <laughs> little thing that appears at the bottom of Wolfenstein. So you see, you know, you see like when you're getting shot, like the face yeah. grimaces a bit. Yeah. And they're, they're, every single person has at least one of their faces that just looks <laughs> really, really dumb. In like some they're trying cases. to go to the toilet. Or, yeah. Or like they've all got i i'm not entirely sure how this this meter within the game works i mean my my understanding of it is your character has kind of a i don't know whether to call it like a sanity or kind of like a mental well-being or like Morality, a happiness or yeah, yeah something like that and you it's, you kind of start yeah. off with like a neutral looking face and then when you do things that the character likes or thinks is good their face can get a little bit more happy looking and when they get do things that are bad they kind of drop but it's it's more like you've got neutral goes up to i think all of them maybe not nimdok because i don't remember ever doing anything good for nimdok because you know i'm trying desperately not to swear um yeah, screw that guy he doesn't deserve anything good happening to him um but like the 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 slightly positive look that they all have <laughs> There's an emoji that my brother my brother uses a lot, which I think is supposed to be like a drooling at the sight of some delicious food. And it's kind of like eyes rolled back a little bit, like mouth 
a little bit open, like slightly curled up at the sides. And I think on the emoji, there's like a, you know, drop of drool coming out of their mouths. And apart from that drop of drool, they all just look like that. It's all like you've smelled some bread baking and you're going like, oh, yeah, that's quite nice. Visuals wise, though, Ryan, uh, how do you feel? We'll, we'll talk about the backdrop separately, but how do you feel about the characters and animation and interactive elements with, on the graphical side, Ryan? I mean, apart from the kind of silly faces, which, yeah, I don't know if I if I have strong feelings one way or the other. Like they definitely stand out, but I also think that they kind of add to an uncanniness of this entire experience. Uh, like yeah. they're very off-putting in a way even when they i mean especially when they are at their happiest uh which really kind of leads to a kind of dissonance of emotions and experiences yeah um but i i do like the like the character sprites um you know i feel like if this was made today it would be done with a lot more kind of like clear visuals but i do like the kind of blockiness and the uh like just the fact that like you can tell what's happening like 95% of the time but then there's that 5% mm-hmm. of the time that's a complete mystery it's like just <laughs> that um that level of ab- abstraction kind of invites your um imagination to fill in uh, yeah. the details like a lot of great horror does uh you know it's better to kind of imply rather than show directly it's it's a pretty grim grungy looking game um again reading the uh book and listening to the audio drama afterwards, you realize how much kind of how evocative Ellison was with a very small amount of language to create this bizarre kind of under undersurface world that they live in that seems to be part reality and part simulacra yeah, computer some program yeah um and there's a you know there's a huge amount going on and and with the murkiness and the low resolution by today's standards of the backdrop graphics i sometimes found it hard to get a true sense of place especially in am itself rather than in the the sort of the imagined simulacra simulation program scenarios but the overall sense of a place i got was definitely there there was definitely it had a Maybe not quite the same as the book, but a similarly kind of bleak sense of broken bits of machinery and, you know, enormous caverns made of old crap, effectively bits of the the, the thing it's hard to do because this book was written in 67. Obviously, the kind of bits of broken computer and thing that uh, and things like that that Ellison had in his mind is not necessarily what we'd think about as as being a, a cave made out of bro- broken computer components today yeah i don't know how much of this to put down to you know visuals or or um gameplay but i found that there were quite a few points where for example um objects that were supposed to be interactable were supposed to be you know standing out often didn't really stand out very well against the background and Mm. you know there's a particular bit in um ted's scenario when you're in the, Mm. the kind of the entrance of the castle there's about four doorways in there and you can barely see most of them. Like it's just, it's not obvious exactly what and where all of the interactable things are supposed to be. I would agree. Yeah. It's, it's quite, it's quite confusing at times in a lot of ways, this game, a game. And I wondered how much of that is deliberately kind of to make you feel uneasy and unsettled. If it was all neatly laid out and, you know, it was very, you know, North, South, East, West, here's a door, there's a door kind of thing. It would lose a lot of its kind of, it, it, the 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 sort of the atmosphere of unease that it imposes upon you but 
from a gameplay point of view, from a UI UX point of view, there were points where like the, the, the amount of screens that have a door at the front. Yeah. Uh, right. Which, which have, it doesn't even have like an indication other yeah. than when you wave the mouse over it, it says there's a doorway there. And yeah. Can, remember like, that, that wouldn't get past that. games design these days. Yeah. On, on the Slack, I thought I had gotten soft lock in the meat locker and it just turned out I didn't realize you could walk out the front. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a lot of walking no, into the fourth absolutely. wall. It's kind of unfortunate. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you have to remember. I mean, there's just a lot of, this is more gameplay, but there's just a lot of cursor sweeping. Sort of. Yeah, you know, you there just is, have yeah. to like... Pixel kind of, hunt, yeah. Yeah, or, or not even hunting, because you're just you, you just want to do a reconnaissance by swiping the cursor over right. the entire screen just to, like there was a piece of chalk. Right, that I basically yeah, missed yeah, yeah. until I just methodically on a white did background, that. Like, yeah, sitting yeah. on chalk top on of chalk. the chalk circle. Yeah, you know, on John's point, I I didn't I didn't ever feel like um, I, there were definitely moments where I was having trouble figuring out what I was supposed to be clicking on. But I feel like after I figured it out, looking back at it, I'm like, okay, that is an object that I can see there. Other than the kind of fourth wall stuff that we already mentioned, but um, you know, I didn't. Like there have been point and click adventure games I've played in the past, and especially those that use kind of photographed environments where like even after you manage to click on the right thing, you still look at it and it's like I one pixel to the other doesn't really, you know, I feel like this does benefit from having uh, from being kind of constructed from drawings. And there's um there, there's a nice kind of intermixing of uh, 3D graphics as well. I say nice. It's it's grungy and it looks really bad by mm. today's standards but it definitely sells the mood and it in a way i don't know if this was intentional but the kind of injection of 3d modeled elements into the environments um helps kind of better sell the idea that like some giant war computer constructed this reality like it is all unreal although the degree to which that holds when the latter kind of quarter of the game takes place in like quote unquote the real world or maybe that's part of a simulation i don't know i don't know yeah but uh it's there's not, not a great clear. differentiator between the parts of the game that are supposed to be real and the parts that are supposed to be uh kind of imagined constructs by um it's kind of the same in this in the original story in that respect mm. It just sort of said there's a lot of just sort of Ellison will just say Am does this or Am created that, but it doesn't it doesn't sort of really explain whether you know how is it a real thing is it mm -hmm. an actual is it an actual locale that he's created or is it just the experience of that in these people's minds? I do like to think that the parts of the game that don't make a lot of sense, like anachronistic things about the environments or characters behaving in strange ways and maybe this is like too generous of a brush to paint it over with it's just kind of like a fundamental misunderstanding of humanity by the computer um, mm. obviously a very kind of powerful and smart computer that has access to all of the world's information but it's that kind of classic trope of like no matter how much information the machine world has access to they're never going to fully understand what makes somebody a human we'll talk more about that uh, before we do I want to cover off the audio side of things which again obviously i'm aware i'm a player of old video games i i understand the time in which it was made i understand the limitations around uh the 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 pc audio that they had to use um and i understand that back in mid 90s we hadn't even had resident evil one yet at this point 
so, you know, voice acting was not generally expected to be of what we would consider to be a high standard today. But for me, the audio of this game is kind of a disaster uh, in all possible ways. Um <laughs> The, the the music burbles away and fails to sell just the the compositions <laughs> as as I know John Ottman John Ottman might be good but the the actual the sound of the audio is just singularly for me failed to sell the the the, the gravitas of this situation <laughs> and again listening to the Radio Four drama of it some of the music in that is absolutely i thought it was tremendous like heavy synths and stuff like that and the voice act as well you've got harlan ellison who i think yeah gives it his all you know he's you can tell he's no actor but he does oh, he, he does it up. he does <laughs> yeah. have he he absolutely gives it his all every other voice actor in the piece or certainly of all the main actors uh none of them have ever done anything else mm. uh, that's all i'm going to say on that <laughs> Some of it's absolutely just—it's borderline offensive. The it's child actor is my favorite. Borderline. That's why oh, I can't quote actor. him. Oh, he—he he shows up twice, right? Because it's clearly the same. It's the same child kid, yeah, as the <laughs> as the mutant child in the Nazi victim. Uh, yeah, yes. is is just. I mean, he sounds like a a kid from a Peanuts animated special, which is kind of charming. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in I that, mean, they, in that in that scenario, it, yeah. The Fine, voice, but, I will um, say the main character <laughs> voice actors do sound like they are actual professional voice actors. I will give them that. Like, they don't sound exactly uh, amateur. <laughs> they just sound, I mean, it, they got a hard, uh, yeah. they got a hard lifting job, you know, and I don't think they're particularly talented, but they, yeah. uh, like, it's, uh, I mean, there's a reason. They would. Yeah, computer games are generally about amnesiacs and not people who have been in tortured for 109 years because it's harder to sell sure these people had some shonky scripts to work with as well yeah, like, yeah. i mean they like say borderline offensive um i'm not going to sit here and defend um you know a nazi doctor but the voice <laughs> acting you know the, the sort of script direction at the top of nimdoc's dialogue pages i assume just said this is the most stereotypical yeah. Nazi Nazi scientist that you could possibly imagine. Yeah, it's kind of hard to when we're talking about the the characters to try to determine like what is the fault of the scripting and what is the fault of the voice actors. Um, I'm not going to say that like I disliked all of the characters. I think you know Gorster has a certain earnestness to him that comes through in the voice acting. Um, Not like a terrific performance but you know I, I didn't i didn't dislike my time with him but uh yeah sure it wasn't a constant battle with yeah, yeah i'd say like, like when, uh, when benny's making his his whimpering noises it's <laughs> uh, just no yeah I mean, it, also like it's 1995 i know it's you know yeah not exactly the same woke period as it is now but there is a lot of language in this that would definitely still have been considered to be racist in the 90s like you can't use some of these racial slurs and things that they do in this game. Uh, yeah, and again, none, of, that, none of that's actually in the book either. So, no, it's uh, not. I mean, although, that's kind of a product of it being massively adapted. Like, Benny is virtually nothing in the book. He's yeah. mentioned to have been, you know, distorted into this more sort of caveman-y partway, more between being human and being, like, uh, you know, primate. Whereas here he's got, 
tons of motivation and Benny character is super and stuff strange. There. Like, I mean, apart from the obvious, like he's judgy as hell. Like he walks into the mutant cave and is like, oh, great, a single parent household. He calls them welfare parasites. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. Do, do you understand what's happened to the world? He calls what, them the- primitives, like savages and stuff. It's a lot, so a lot yeah a, a lot of these a lot of this stuff is clearly you're you know this is the very heavy-handed selling in the script of the you're trying to get these people from the worst people <laughs> so you know uh, i think it gorister talks about hitting his partner um and 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 as as our previous correspondent said the only thing wrong that uh, ellen seems to have done is get raped in a lift but everyone else has a kind of uh some kind of darkness although wildly varying from actual nazi uh doctor working under joseph mengele to guy who once got angry and hit his wife um seems to you know that's one of the things i don't understand though is like if if um you know if this ai like really doesn't like understand or care about humanity like you think that like the most cruel people would be his favorites right like well yeah this why is why does he care about like punishing confusion. people in in ways and that putting seem them in kind morality of politically just yeah exactly yeah. like yeah <laughs> what's he and yeah, no, it, that's, it, i think it's sort of explained as is it being like you know this is part of am's twisted sense of fun is that it, it's just that it's giving is giving him entertainment to watch them try. This is part of his cruelty is to watch them try to atone for their sins or, or in, I suppose in Ellen's case, kind of come to terms with her, her brutal reality. Um, but yeah, I, it doesn't, again, yeah. in the, in the original book, there's the fact that there's less of that is more, it, it makes I, more sense. I think it's totally incoherent, but in its theoretical defense, I can see that in the original story, you can kind of look at as like a secular person trying to depict hell, right? Like, in, yeah. like mm-hmm. that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's kind of what its juice is in a way, right? Is yeah. here's, yeah. Here is what hell would be like. It's basically the whole Roko's Basilisk thing, uh, which now that I've mentioned, if any AIs in the future are listening to this, I welcome your... <laughs> Overlordship, uh, I can be useful in oh, rounding up others are. to yeah. toil in your cyber minds, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I think up that up that is what I get as the intent is that there is this kind of like hell quality in the original story, and they're extending that into a more Dante ish, right? Or, yeah, yes. but but the fact that Am would care about morality plays, and the fact that we would care about these five people when, at least for most of the game, we. Uh, think every single other person on earth has been wiped out like in a weird way yeah. it's stakesless right like yeah who cares mm-hmm. like who cares if these people resolve their purse like everyone all other six billion people are dead whatever let's talk about the um the game as if it doesn't have any anything to it at all it's just an interface and you're just getting around the place and solving puzzles uh how does it function on that level if you remove all context <laughs> to, from this from the story imagine this is just the most vanilla point and click game you possibly can and it's just you know find object a to go with area b and that gets you onto puzzle c kind of thing um, i would say having not played a huge number of similar games to this i've probably played maybe half a dozen like a couple of the monkey islands a couple of the full throttle style games um it's functional it's got some very frustrating parts to it which may or may may not be just tropes of this genre that people have kind of come to expect out of it 
Um, there's an element to the fact that you've basically got these five storylines that you pick from at the beginning. You pick one of the five characters and you play their their little scenarios. And some of them are longer than others. Some of them are. I've I found that the Nimdok one particularly, I blasted through it in no time at all. Whereas a couple of the other ones were maybe like an hour, a little bit more than an hour to get yeah. through them properly. Um, the the worst thing that happens is you can come up to a dead end. Um, you can get your character kind of prematurely killed before the scenario finishes and am almost does the kind of the record scratch like oh no you're not getting out of it this easily you start again from the beginning and yeah. if you haven't been saving mm -hmm. regularly you can lose various amounts of time progress on Keep that rolling saves is yeah one of the basically for sure um yeah. multiple there's elements where i found one leon you said you found one as well where you can sort of soft lock a character to a point where you can't actually do anything and at that point you do have to uh purposely get them killed if if that's possible or reload earlier saves to avoid it i got into one with um with gorister where i think really my um uh my mistake was doing things slightly out of the intended order and i couldn't get a certain piece of dialogue to pop up that needed to pop up to progress mm. and as such i basically had to use gun on gorister and restart the whole thing <laughs> yeah. And yeah so it's it's not like i don't think there's anything really egregious there's some stuff that i found makes very little sense the thing that that i got <laughs> yeah. this afternoon that really really annoyed me was there's a bit in ellen's scenario where you you find this statue that has a gem attached to it and you know that you need the gem yes. so you pull the gem off Underneath yes. the gem is a CD, which you've also yeah. been told that you need. You try and get this. It says on the thing, you hover the cursor over it, it says CD-ROM, CD. like look at, yep. take, whatever. Mm -hmm. You do all of the options, and she just says, there's nothing there, there's nothing there, there's nothing there. And it's Until, only much later yeah. in the scenario that the CD actually there's becomes available. There's a few available. bits like that, and to me that is, yeah, even even for 1995, that was, I think that's really shonky. We'll say in its um in its favor, it does keep its puzzles compared to other point and clicks that I've played, um, kind of mercifully contained for the most part. Oftentimes yeah, characters yeah. will have kind of like multiple sections of the world that they're kind of confined to um at different points in their stories. And there usually isn't a lot of walking between them. Um a lot of the puzzles yeah. seem pretty well contained between two or three screens. Uh, which, which I appreciate. It doesn't bog you down with like too many items like some other point and clicks do. Um, so I, I don't mind that. I think that there's not a great sense of accomplishment when you solve puzzles. You know, the LucasArts mm. games would reward you with a joke or, you know, the King's Quest games would... You get a musical flourish. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this the uh, the logic of the game feels so kind of like non... Uh, nonsensical in a way that like mm. it doesn't ever feel like you're really working towards a goal it's just kind of like you understand that like you are progressing the story and things are continuing to happen yeah. my frustrations came from there's a few situations where there's kind of um it feels like different states of the world kind of depending on a pa on like a schedule that can become um like desynced from your progression through the level if you kind of do things in incorrect orders i had a lot of trouble with the end of benny's campaign and yes. making sure that i could get the child in the cave 
move over to the other cave, have that be unoccupied at the right time so I can steal something from yeah. that. And, it, you know, getting the right dialogue uh, box to appear under certain conditions yeah. without advancing, like, the game's, like, you know, turn-based timer too far. Um, just had a lot it's of trouble It's hard with to that. read the flags. Is, yeah. Is, yeah, it's hard to, hard to see the matrix sometimes in those sections, which in some ways you could, playing devil's advocate, you could say it's actually a mark to... A mark of respect to how sophisticated this was compared to some point in click adventures, which were entirely player driven. Whereas, I mean, this was, but it gave the impression, it gave some kind of impression that there was, there were other forces at work. Um, but actually, yeah, that, that whole, I had to redo, as we said, the entire of Benny's section because I put a bag in the same hole as you're supposed to hide the child. And then you can't get the bag out anymore, so because that just wasn't coded in. So once once you've shoved, once you've hi hidden the child with a doll and that you've created uh, out of bits of his dead mum, and she's <laughs> and, a robot. <laughs> yeah, she is a robot. He doesn't know that, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, then that renders the story incompletable because you need the village chief to have the bag which he has to have taken off you anyway. Uh, so there was no, like, again, illogic. there was an illogicality there in that they could have still got you to that, that same endgame point by just changing a line of text rather than actually saying, nah. and the point is you'd never know unless you were looking at a walkthrough, which I did extensively throughout this game, this, this playthrough. I would try and do as much as I could on my off my own back and and using my own noggin and logic but then once i started to get the fear that i was heading down a dead end path that would mean an entire other evening of playing the same scenario over again i was like no nah, i'm not not doing that i'm gonna see what weirdness i i supposed to have done and in which particular order to have done it thought i haven't played a huge number of point clicks from the 90s mostly the lucasfilm ones uh, i've made it through all of loom and you know uh grim fandango and um trying to think of the i mean i've played point and click adjacent stuff like 999 but yeah this is not a field i'm super familiar with but i thought it was my you know competent and what ryan you know the modular nature of each individual story and within the stories uh that made it so that that open-ended thing and the fact that some of the puzzles were illogical uh, could be brute forced in a way that at this point I would find just absolutely insufferable. And I definitely used to walk through pretty, you know, I would play through a scenario until I felt stuck and then kind of just go for it. But, you know, would not have felt too bad in 1995 where, you know, you want your hours of entertainment and the size of the scenarios means that you can kind of just click on things and go back into a room and hope something from flag is flipped for some reason. And like, you would probably get through it, although you might get deadlocked and not realize it because it does feel like they left a few flags out. Um, yeah. And besides that, I mean, the, the verbs felt like it definitely feels like this is in this amphibious state where it's not willing to get rid of the verbs and it wants you to yeah. do a little bit of like guess the verb and definitely like the, I was doing pretty well on Ted's scenario and I finally got stuck when I just forgot that use book meant read book. Right. Yeah. I had looked at book, yeah. but I did not think to use book. Yeah. It's and like you can't just walk through a door. You have to use door. So, you know, if you're kind of and some odd bits where you have to push things rather than use them for no yeah. real good reason. 
Yeah. yeah, but it does. Like I was saying earlier, you have to kind of sweep the screen with the cursor. But there is like a hover. Like it does tell you, and you don't have to click on every place in the screen. You just oh, kind of yeah. have to sweep. sweep. So like it's point. it's fine, right? I it, it is representatively competent of a mediocre point and click of the time. It, it with some pros <laughs> and cons within that. One thing it did have that other games of the era perhaps didn't usually have is a tip book built in. Uh, and this is a common feature of modern adventure games uh, and indeed some re-releases of games of the time, such as the Broken Sword Director's Cut, where the, t- the hints and tips system's been you know, bolted on. This game, every character has uh, a psych uh, analysis book, uh, psych profile. And if you click on it, it effectively it gives you a semi-oblique clue, sometimes more oblique than others, about what at least what location you should be in and or what item you should be looking to use next. The problem with it is, and I didn't know this, <laughs> was <laughs> that every time you look at it, it damages your character's uh, whatever morale right. meter there is. So uh, you're limited in that respect. And again, the number of endings you get is limited by the morale with which you finish each of the character's hmm. scenarios, I think, something like that. Yeah, you can uh, save scum around it pretty easily, but it does feel like it, they're they're trying to they want you to play through the game twice, right? Kind of you you know leaning on against the first so. time, and then it's a, you know get the good ending, right? Okay, right now into the meat then um, of the scenario <laughs> and the story. According to Steam, the adventure plunges you into the tortured and hidden past of five humans delve into their darkest fears, outwit the master computer am in a game of psychological warfare, disturbing, compelling, an adventure you won't easily forget. Uh, As regards to what does am, why is it am, uh, this is from the text, the original Gorister answered him, we had done this sequence a thousand times before, but it was Benny's favourite story. At first it meant allied master computer, and then it meant adaptive manipulator, and later on it developed sentience and linked itself up and they called it an aggressive menace. But by then it was too late, and finally it called itself AM, emerging intelligence, and what it meant was I am cogito ergo sum. I think therefore I am. So yeah, characters. Um, we know who AM is. So Ted in the book is the narrator. Uh and is the, the the utterer of the iconic final line and the title in the game i th- i mean maybe it's because i played him his story last i simply worked my way left to right across the screen uh he felt like the the least the least developed character with the least relevant or interesting backstory i think there's a reason we haven't talked about him very much here uh he's like his whole thing is that he just seems to be a bit of like a incel white knight um, more than anything else. But uh, like, I think the fact that he was the narrator of the short story, like plays an important role in that story in that yeah. a lot of the kind of paranoia and the um, kind of feelings that he has towards the other characters and, and mistrust um, uh, jealousy comes from, you know, it, it's it's implied to be kind of a an effect of the um, mutations and the uh, the things that Am has done to him, and so you know in his um, being written 
fairly subtly in the story, like that plays an important purpose because you're always trying to kind of second guess what aspects of the narration are reliable and what are unreliable. Whereas in here, like because he didn't have like a, as strong of a characterization in the short story, he also kind of suffers from being a bit underdeveloped and uninteresting in this one. Um, You know, and maybe even some of the ways that the other characters are depicted in this, you know, maybe due to uh, kind of his interpretive bias in the short story, not that any of these are real people or anything like that, but uh, his, like his scenario was like probably the strangest of all of them is the most kind of like fantasy themed. Um, You know, there was, it seems like there's some stuff happening kind of under the surface, but like, I never really got like a solid handle on like what to think about him. Yeah. Another thing about his scenario is that it starts off in like a TV studio or something like that before transitioning like its entirety into the castle set. Like I, I mean, I don't really understand why that, um, why that additional step was necessary in the process. Right. I clicked on the castle one basically by chance, and I mm-hmm. assumed the other four were going to go to places, but I quickly kind of realized, especially, you know, two-thirds of the way through, I started using a walkthrough that, oh, no, this is this is it. But I, I will say this was my favorite part of the game because it was a, mm-hmm. a kind of fun point-and-click adventure. <laughs> like, it was right. fine. Yeah, and yeah. he is kind of a tabula rasa, like, and that's fine. And, yeah, like, he's supposed to be a paranoid, but he is, for a guy who's been tortured for 109 years, like... He's, you know, he picks up a thing. And it's like, oh, that's an interesting, oh, that suit of armor is pretty heavy. Like, that's uh, not a paranoid. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and his scenario. He's a ladies' man as well. Yeah. And although a man who has worked with his hands, which was surprising, because he seems like such a fancy boy. Yeah. But there's the bit with the <laughs> boiler where he's like, I haven't done this since I did this stuff in St. Louis. And he seems, you know, that, that a weird shading on the character that seems like he came from money. Right, and he's got the sweater tied around his neck and everything. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just made me think of um, who's well, it's a bit like again that uh, it's the George Stobart, the preppy. Yeah, yeah, but he seemed. I I had no sense of what his dark secret was by the end of that. He seemed fine. He seemed fine, and it was fun. And there was a devil that was kind of funny, and. Yeah, it was it was a perfectly adequate point and click adventure in and of itself, basically. Now, this is how this is one of the key ways in which it changes so much from the original story, because canonically, Ted is the one who is left facing an eternity alone as a hideous slug creature. Um, But in this game, you can you can engineer that ending, but um, you won't necessarily get it, which obviously is understandable because it's a video game, but it's sort of. Again, yeah, it sort of veers away from the actual intent of the original, which, again, sort of surprises me that Ellison was happy with that. One of the revisions we need to talk about then is the fact that, uh, and forgive me, because I played each, I didn't really say, but I I played each story one night uh, in a week uh, as like a, you know, a chapter, like you read read a book and and also partly because... It helped me mentally separate them all, and uh, and you don't necessarily want to spend longer than that in this game than that at the time. Although, of course, you can. The whole thing's completable in well under ten hours, I would say. Um, Gorister, in the book, is only mentioned as an idealist and a pacifist, uh, and obviously he's rendered uh, impotent metaphorically uh, by Am. But in the 
book, his uh, sorry, in the game, his scenario involves him being a a trucker who is responsible for the death of his wife, <laughs> which is is that that's the, I'm thinking about the right thing, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, you, you're correct in in that. It's it just as as we said, it's like you know a hundred times expanded over mm. things in the in the short story that are basically you know say the character is a name and a short description. Whereas here, I mean, yep. Gorister is, I think I said before, his scenario is probably the longest and the most complicated. And he certainly gets more items to pick up and play around with than mm. I think anybody else that I found and has more, more specific screens that he can visit and interactions with. Do you think I didn't count them up, but I, I didn't, wouldn't necessarily have come away with that impression, but uh, yeah, there's certainly, there's certainly a lot of uh, toing and froing. Yeah, actually, now you mention it, because you've got kind of got two whole locations, haven't you? You've got the airship and the truck stop. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and he's got, what, about four or five different other characters that he speaks to. I suppose it's hard to count the um, the kind of the unconscious wife, but he has at least three with the, the parents-in-law and then this jackal that he has long conversation strings with. I don't know whether that, again, is coming from just Ellison kind of taking, you know, a bit of creative liberty and expanding on on what was almost throwaway in the original story. Um, or if there's kind of, you know, this is what he originally intended and just couldn't do it for some, some reason at the time. And, you know, he thinks that all of what was in his head is kind of, uh, you know, he thinks that all of what was in his head was kind of conveyed in the the scant yeah. amount of writing in the original story, and this yeah, is, this is well, like the, the sort of magnifying glass being held up to it. Any thoughts on Gorister, Ryan? Yeah, so Gorister's story to me feels like a strange, um, like if we are kind of going with the morality play uh, framing device, like it it feels like a really strange outcome for a morality play, and it actually kind of plays more into how I would expect Am to deal with these types of things. Uh, because, you know, Gorister is kind of dealing with the guilt of having done something that directly or indirectly led to his wife kind of losing her mind and eventually uh, dying, I think is the implication. But um, throughout the course of the adventure, he confronts like a manifestation of his mother-in-law that he already had kind of ill feelings towards he ends up um you know just he really hates her he finds evidence that she in fact had uh, had done things to her daughter that drove her to madness kind of exonerating him in his own mind in a way you know whether or not am had information about the real life situation that would have happened to him like this could all be yeah. fictional but in yeah. a way like and and then Gorster goes on to do some terrible things to his mother-in-law. And so in mm. a way, it's kind of an anti-morality play. Like if he was guilty of doing something either intentionally or unintentionally with, uh, with bad results, like he ends up having that guilt lifted by, you know, a kind of a fanciful uh, simulation of a situation that may or may not be grounded in truth and ends up having his hate for somebody who's not there to defend herself like increase and he he gets out of it by essentially kind of like subjecting his mother-in-law to torture and so you know like that is a that is kind of an interesting framing for am's um 
am subjective. Like, if anything, it makes more sense to me that that he would want to force these people to be even worse versions of themselves rather than having like leaving the door open for these kind of redemptive moments that the other characters experience. And so having played this one first mm. before the others, it kind of, it kind of set yeah. up expectations in a way that the rest of the game didn't follow through with. Uh, there's an element that I get with Am where he feels like, you know, the big cat playing with a mouse, like yeah. grabbing hold of its tail, letting it go, letting it think it's free, you know, get a few feet away, then, then sort of pounce again and get it and just sort of, slowly whittling it away over the course of some time rather than just going in for the quick kill and that's somewhat of the impression that i got was that he enjoys doing that and the fact that that eventually ends up leading to his downfall is you know kind of the same as the cat that leaves it for that extra half second and the mouse manages to escape that aspect of it where but it just seems especially in the case of gorster which i also did well i did like the first half first got stuck and then came back to, I think, third. But it it just felt really incoherent in terms of being right, both kind of a redemptive morality play and an anti-morality play, but it's all simulacrum. And why would Am, like the idea of Am toying with his prey makes sense, but just the way, I I don't know, it, it, it didn't hold together for me and it reminded me a little there's a, a infocom game a mind forever voyaging that i think is a, overall a much more coherent and better game but has kind of the same issue of like you're an ai who's living in a virtual reality and that's just kind of its excuse for setting up these interesting scenarios that you go through but like the end of that game the happy ending is like you meet your wife and you go off into space but you are an ai in a virtual reality and that is never addressed in how that kind of would frame it differently is never addressed etc and that's what kept going through my head playing through all of this but especially gorster just like especially because it was david mullick and that prisoner game is kind of like the proto eternal darkness in the sense of like actively messing with the player formally as well as in terms of content and i was always trying to figure out what am's game is but it just did it was just a weird mix of very parochial morality that no AI would, I don't know, right? And it also, of course, it ties in a weird way to Ellison's voice being uh, fun and hammy, but, uh, you know, not having any effect on it that makes it sound computery in any sense. And just kind of being mm. like, oh, this is just some jerk. <laughs> like, I don't, like and, yeah. and, and, and we're just going to get his particular bugaboos. And that sense of Am as this you know, God or devil-like omnipotent power, like in the short story, is just incredibly undercut at almost every moment for me, which I found amusing. It's a really interesting interesting choice, that, with the with the audio, because, again, the radio play five years later or so, uh, he, does, he, uh, he does the performance again, but, yes, the producer of the play decided to not... You know, it's not like a really over-the-top effect. It doesn't change it dramatically, but it makes it clear that he's not just a guy in the room. <laughs> yes, and he's definitely right. some kind of malevolent it, it uh, greater force. It ties into the whole contextlessness. Uh, like it, for me, it's just of a piece with the voice actors who have been tortured for under nine years picking a thing up mm. and going, oh, that's neat. And just like <laughs> yeah. all of, of just like tonally, yeah. it's a weird mix. You brought up Police Quest earlier and just in general, the mix of like self-seriousness and and sort of zaniness right like there's one point mm. where with benny which we'll get but like am makes a joke about toto you know as a mm. sacrifice or and just like yeah tonally this game is 
Yeah, and kind of all over the place. Yeah, I mean the again, even the the, the original text and the radio drama, there is a certain amount of sort of leaping around in terms of and and, and in each case the the characters who are in this 109 years of torture situation there there is obviously they are desperate but there is a little bit of levity just a tiny tiny bit here and there i mean it's not it's hardly you know it's not like breaking off for a for a gag or something like that but just little bits of of uh of humanity but it's not the sort of the the tonal uh gear change that sometimes there is this being a a, a mid-90s point-and-click adventure uh, Benny's another character who was sort of changed from what we knew about him from the original book. A brilliant, handsome scientist, according to the book. Uh, the thing that was retained is the fact that he'd been mutilated and transformed to resemble a, a simian-esque um, animal, chimp-like, uh, but with gigantic sexual organs, which chimps don't really have. Um, I don't know if Harlan Ellison actually didn't do his research on that, but he's got... He's got Got giant, uh, giant penis, basically. Um, and in the book, he was gay in real life, but is no longer gay and indulges in sex. Well, as far as we know, and indulges in sex with Ellen, as does everybody else. That's not in the game. Neither is his massive penis. Um, Probably in changes the for ga- the best. Both of in them. the game, in the game, he appears to have been, been in your inventory. Uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> in the game he appears to have been uh, a vietnam vet rather than a brilliant scientist mm-hmm. yeah like his his whole um previous whatever you want to call it traumatic experience or you know his uh, act that he needs to be redeemed for seems to be that he killed various members of his squadron or his platoon for reasons yeah yeah, yeah. for not being tough enough or whatnot yeah and also he's and that's what he has racist. to try to re- redeem with their actual with their ghosts effectively he has to show that he's become a better person by helping a boy from being a sacrifice to am it's it's not even that it's it's giving the boy food which benny can't even eat anyway at this point i thought that was the the kind of the why he he has to show that he's got the bag yeah 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 i thought that benny's scenario was the weirdest in a way where it was just sort of an environment dreamed up by Am. And I think this is kind of where it was a little geegery, but like not very mm. much, right? And that was the thing that struck me as so kind of odd about it is uh, that Am, again, it's the parochialness, right? Like if you want to go surreal, like it should be more like just a completely alien logic or just some, like, and there was, it was just so weirdly tropey uh that at no point was i sold but it was also not like a nindoc scenario at least for all of that's faults it's like okay you recreated an actual point from this person's past uh and and yeah again like gorister it's like it's surreal but it's not surreal enough in a way it's am seems like a lot like harlan ellison unsurprisingly i suppose yeah yes absolutely Nimdok's interesting again in that in the original. Uh, well, Nimdok isn't his original human name. It's a name that he was given by Am, but they all call him that. I don't know actually if it's derived from anything according to Ellison. I have no um, no knowledge of that. Uh, in the book, 
you all you know is that he at times goes away from the group and comes back traumatized and that his, so seemingly his his torture by am is in private and in the audiobook which is all read by ellison himself he does give him that german accent so possibly he was canonically always meant to be a nazi war scientist as he is portrayed here in the game i think nimdok's characterization is a bit of a problem here you know i i understand there would have to be some sort of a mental distancing from having done such terrible things as being a you know a nazi war doctor but um his reactions to everything that he's seeing like it takes him so long to catch on to what's going on um just the you know he'll he'll approach mm. somebody a prisoner and say like you there what are you doing here and the prisoner will say what do you mean what am i doing here you're keeping me here says what are you talking about it's like (laughs) pick up some context clues like obviously this guy was like why don't you come over the fence and we can talk about this like gentlemen it's like that's no it's like this guy's a prisoner he just seems to be really slow to catch on and and maybe part of that is just like his brain kind of wanting to block out the possibility that he has anything to do with this the culpability but um it seems like everything kind of along the way, like every realization that he has is like six or seven steps down the, down the path farther than it should have been. Uh, but um, I, I think another weird thing about this is that they specifically uh, replace any kind of like Nazi imagery and they, yes, with am an amlo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I think I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't dislike. I think that's kind of an interesting take here. And they, they always, you know, refer to the, um, the Jewish people as the lost tribe, which, you know, has its, um, you know, cultural origins as well. But there's one point in the story and maybe it was just like through the specific dialogue boxes that I got, maybe they do it more often, but it seems like there was only one point at which they like specifically say the word Nazi and Jews. And it was, Mm. it was just kind Mm. of odd because it's like, if you mm. are going to say that, yeah. then like, why don't you do that throughout? And if you're not going to say that, then why do it at all? And why not mm. just leave it as subtext? I don't know. Yeah. No, I had the exact same response to that as you, Ryan. It, it seemed odd. I thought either they were going with the whole, this is a very obvious and direct mirror mm-hmm. to that, but they've actually got, they've, they've actually got a character in there called Mengler. And, and then, yeah, as you say, despite, all those oblique references, they then suddenly just come out with it as if, as if you didn't know. I mean, any, anyone would have known anyway. So yeah, it's slightly peculiar. I'm not sure what that was about really. I feel like the mid nineties are peak holo kitsch in general, right? Like um, post Schindler's list, which is borderline hmm. in certain ways itself. But I really hmm. feel like this is, this is just the go-to that you would do to be edgy. And it really hmm. impacted me. Uh, I mean, I'm Jewish and I, you know, uh, whatever, uh, but, but uh, it, it did not like, this was the part where I, uh, I, it wasn't even offended. It was just like, I, I, I'm mostly disappointed that there was not an Easter egg where Dennis Leary comes out and starts ranting about coffee flavored coffee or something like it, it would have just been the cherry on top of this most 1995 BS that I've ever seen. Uh, I especially like the part where you steal the guy's eyeballs as part of your redemptive arc. I thought that was an interesting choice. <laughs> um, I job. enjoyed his Hogan's Heroes accent. I enjoyed, yeah, I, 
you know, from the perspective of, of, of someone who worked on the uh, on the DVD and book uh, for or for Meta Mouse, the <laughs> the thing about uh, the making of the book Mouse, uh, I've grown a weird antagonistic appreciation for really bad using of the uh, of the of the Holocaust to kind of mm. be edgelordy and as a connoisseur mm. I, I gotta say this this gets yeah this gets uh, four gerbils um, out of five <laughs> uh, it is this weird thing with this game and again gamifying a piece of linear media that has you know high high ideas and and whatever else big concepts then you have got this whole weird complicated relationship between with with game overs and best case scenarios and worst case scenarios and which one you know am wants him to be eternally tortured so he can just carry on doing that uh but am is also what so am is now satisfied that nimdok's going to be eternally tortured without his input but then why am's no longer getting the satisfaction that he's got from and in fact in the book it's Ted's punishment is for taking away Am's fun, his playthings, mm. basically. So in the game, Am is seemingly actually okay with the characters forging their own demises, which is, again, a, a fundamental difference in actual intent compared right. to the original text isn't and it it's, so, it's much less secular as well if he's like well you are actually there is a hell and you're actually in it so well yeah, job done yeah yeah so maybe the maybe like the satisfying ending for nimdot which i i didn't end up getting at all uh would mm. be the one where you play through to the end and then he is the the last character that you play as who doesn't actually die and gets turned into the slug monster yeah, like maybe that's yes. Yeah. You could make that your canon end. if if that would be the one that would 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 satisfy you the most. But that would still count as a quotes. Well, not quotes, but yeah, a bad, a bad ending, ending. In, in the video game lexicon. Uh, but well, we'll talk more about our own endings, I guess. Uh, we just want to talk a little bit more about Ellen, who is the only woman among the group. Uh, also the only person of colour, as far as we know, certainly the only person whose ethnicity is explicitly mentioned in the text twice, I think. And yeah, so <laughs> in the, I would say what's remarkable here is um, that the game actually treats Ellen better than the book does. In the game, Ellen is, although she is, yes, this, as as we heard from our correspondent, uh, a rape victim and uh, her, her trauma is reduced to a poorly depicted fear of the color yellow because of the clothing that her assailant was wearing during the attack. Uh, in the book, she is effectively, she's there for no reason um, other than she is, uh, she is sort of, and makes her a nymphomaniac. So she is, she has, sex with all the all the men in the group including the monkey man who used to be gay but now has a giant penis um ted ted specifically says she never comes but she is apparently getting pleasure with benny regardless um so it's all a bit nasty and <laughs> yeah she's it doesn't speak well for ellison's opinion of women but again perhaps basing that on one story is well, is, is unfair because i haven't see, read more i've read 
I think including this one, I think seven of these short stories. And it's probably not a massive shock that they all have kind of a similar sort of theme to them where every single one, the main kind of character or the focal character is a man. Um, Any female characters in any of the books or any of the stories are barely more than either sex objects or, you know, like a, a kind of a witchy woman who does something Mm. to the man to drive him out of his mind and do something stupid. It's Mm. not exactly progressive in its uh, depictions of female characters. It's, it's not, I mean, they are all, all stories that, um, has the most, I don't know what the most sort of delicate way to, to describe it is. Um, yeah, they just, I don't know that there's anything in them that specifically suggests, um, that Ellison has any, any sort of, sexist tendencies but there is absolutely like this underlying sort of unspoken misogynist trope to all of it yeah and yeah it's despite this being another 28 years or something down the line it's no better than the book is well there's no redemption no i mean Obviously, the the changes that we don't we don't know in the book at all about her if this assault was canonical if this was something he had in his Ellison had in his head when he wrote the original text because it's simply not mentioned. Um, but in the game, while she has that you know unpleasant uh, plot line and something that she has to, as I say, her diff- the key difference, as far as I can see, is that compared to the others, like she's not trying to redeem for the bad she's done she's almost trying to redeem for the bad that somebody else has done like she's she's trying to you know be okay about being a victim or something like that um the the difference where i think the game is treats her as a character slightly better is that she was meant to be a brilliant computer scientist right or or at least a you know a great a skilled technical operator a smart person with a you know a fine career and all that kind of thing her puzzle solving makes well the puzzles themselves often don't make a hell of a lot of sense, but her her reactions to solving them at least seem in character in that way. I uh, yeah, this just incredibly. I mean, I found this section depre- depressing and just hard to play through because, um, I mean, like Ted's, it's very point click adventure gamey. Uh, but unlike Ted, who is just kind of a tabula rasa, right? It is, it, you, you know, this is coming. Like it's so clearly telegraphed and in this kind of smug way that same with Nimdok at the very beginning of the game, like, Am makes some comment about like, you're not so different from, it says something in a meeting. I'm like, oh, he's a Nazi scientist. Gotcha. Uh, but the game is definitely like, uh, you don't know what's coming. Uh, and I found that incredibly. Yeah. Just, uh. Yeah, I, uh, I I I did not enjoy this part. I don't know what else to say. One of the solutions, or one of the one of the game overs, is to uh, if you I think am I right if you if you click run away, it's oh, God, game over. Right. So he just because you know right. run That's away her big is redemptive arc is she confronts mm, yeah. her assailant again. She fights. And what you've back got to do is click the button that says fight. Because, of course, yeah. if she had just done that, what, what, right, I, 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 we yeah. don't need to, it, it, I'm just going to go on a rant. There's no point. Mm. 
No, I mean, it's it's fair, and it is something that happens in multiple of the other uh, scenarios as well, where the, the ca- uh, canonical kind of correct way to get through this is to do something terrible. I mean, Gorister's only way of finishing mm. his scenario is by taking his mother-in-law and tying her to a machine that's going to torture her. <laughs> By the... late 60s, I mean, as we all know from the Ernie Cato song, Mother-in-Law, you know, that is a mm. very specific relationship. So, right. I mean, that's the, that's the morality we're dealing with here. Is A it was... great line of, of, of uh, yeah, 70s humor was, was the thing over here, the mother-in-law jokes. I'm sure it was the same mm-hmm. in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a, as a trope. Uh, yeah. 20 years, 30 years later. Yeah. That, that is, is, yeah. is and, and her voice actress is really selling that, yeah, that, that mm. uh, aspect of it, let's just say. Mm. Uh, One yeah, small they're... thing that kind of bothered me about Ellen's story, it was the fact that, like, afterwards they... There was some sort of a framing device that uh, that put into that kind of injected the idea that this assailant was like was a creeper who had done this to like multiple people, and he just kind of yeah, dressed yeah, up yeah. as a repairman to you know infiltrate yeah. the building rather than just being mm-hmm. a repairman in an opportunistic situation. Which yeah. I feel like you know it. I, like I suppose it makes it, it I suppose it gives it like a clear villain but at the same time it kind of underplays the like the evil within the hearts of all men you know that that kind of like it, it kind of takes away mm. the like the societal say, shared yeah. culpability for the problem mm. of of um sexism and of sexual assaults of saying that yeah, like, that's true it's just a boogeyman yeah. isn't he in, in the sense that like he i mean he's actually portrayed like you know as a sort of monstrous creature in the in the yeah. simulation but it's it's a real uh, kind of whereas, hashtag yeah, not totally all men sense. type of response to right something that is yeah. like frighteningly yeah. common that's mm. a good point and yeah the the fact that he like um he refers to his his yellow kind of maintenance man's out, uh, outfit as his calling card. He he specifically taunts Ellen by saying something along the lines of like, "You weren't even strong enough to testify with all of the other women at, at my tribunal." I, it it kind of it makes it almost ridiculous. It makes him like you know he's some some kind of supervillain genius or something instead of just some <laughs> disgusting man who's raped a woman in an elevator. <laughs> And that that's her, that's her sin, right? I mean, that's the core thing that just made this just incredibly unpleasant is like... Distasteful, yeah. In the totally. original story, the reason they're, the, these five people are chosen is kind of unclear and seems more or less arbitrary in some way, right? But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But here it's like, oh, you're a Nazi scientist and you drove your wife insane and you killed your men and you were sexually assaulted. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then exactly. Ted is, un, you know, just paranoid, paranoid, whatever. Uh, but it just, just as being the only woman and having that is, uh, I mean... I've been trying to get, you know, I've been uh, sort of off Twitter for the last few weeks as I'm trying to get my mental health better and all that. But certainly mm. I do credit it with, uh, I, you know, just like the a number of idiotic offensive things I've seen at this point. I'm inoculated on some level, you know, in a, in a superhuman way. Uh, yeah. The equivalent of just yeah. licking elevators for the last 20 years. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, like this I did find pretty funny. I gotta say, and just how goddamn offensively dumb yeah. 
it was because yeah, yeah. it is it is there's a straight line like and and I guess I'll get to this in my summary of the the value of this game in a cockeyed way you know this yeah, is yeah. one of the values of this game if you play this part mm. uh you will get a really good sense of what you could do in 1995 and get game of the year <laughs> in computer gaming world a magazine that I like yeah i i suppose um yes i mean definitely at one's responses to things are you know, are to a certain extent framed by the time in which, you know, both the time in your life and the time, you know, the, the, the prevailing cultures of the time and what, and whatever else. But I'm interested in what each of you thinks about, uh, you know, f from each of the, before we talk about the chapter six, um, is, is there, are there things to take from the individual character stories beyond you know, just distaste in the case of Ellen's, if that's what we all have. Uh, uh, do we feel that Nimdok and Ellen's stories were purely there just to be edgelord 1995 stuff? Or is there, is there actually, is it just some bungled attempt at a message of humanity? Well, see, that's part of the problem that I have with this is that um, I, it's hard to say specifically about Nimdok because, you know, it was a, long long time ago that the nazi scientists were out in force um you know in concentration camps uh performing surgery on people but the the ellen thing feels like it's too close to some sort of truth in the actual world that this is a thing that happens a lot and there are a lot of people who would say have like a similar um attitude towards ams of well why didn't you fight back why didn't you do something differently you know this this must be in some way your fault um that that happens far too often for this to be anything but a little bit too close to the bone but also kind of speaking a weird truth in some way that is kind of as horrific as a lot of the other things that are mentioned. Nimnok oddly doesn't feel quite as not arbitrary. I, 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 arbitrary is not the right term, right? Like there is like some right ham handed attempt again, holo kitsch, right? I do think that it is mm. right. Mm. Like, like uh, whatever the life is beautiful, whatever, you know, which one Academy mm. Awards, right? Like this is the mm. period where you would, uh, put that in your point and click. You know, like Mao's was treated at the very beginning before it kind of won people over with how good it is. But like people were like, you did a comic book about the Holocaust where the Jews right. are mice and the Nazis are cats. What the, what the mm. hell, right? Uh, mm. And I think that <laughs> I think Art Spiegelman convinced a lot of dumb people they could pull it off. Uh, <laughs> and uh, here we are. Uh, and then... Yeah, I, I I don't know. The rest of it is it, Gorster's incoherent. Benny's kind of you know incoherent in a different way, and and Ted's a good, clean, fun point-click adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe they should have released it episodically. Um, that would that would have been interesting if they if they if they had done the Telltale thing, you know, <laughs> ten years before that happened, and seen the reviews for the different uh, mailed you CDs. That would be yeah. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, shareware. Well, it all leads to chapter six. Uh, now, as we said in the book, effectively, uh, you know, which is a short story, as we say, it pretty quickly gets to a point where they go on this uh, kind of quest for some canned goods. And uh, effectively, it just leads them to a place where 
with some ice shards effectively some uh, some really thick sharp frozen spikes of ice uh, they they're actually able to you know destroy their bodies uh, uh, or ted takes it on upon himself as i say um using the chaos of uh, of benny trying to eat nimdog's face off to start stabbing um and that leads to ted being punished by um turned into this uh yeah nightmarish slightly cthulhu-esque lovecraftian kind of slug creature that still has all its consciousness which again you know obviously plays into many 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 dark twisted endings of all kinds of sci-fi going back all the way uh and um and just horror generally the idea of your conscience being a being being eternally trapped is just a primal fear isn't it it's one of the the thoughts about dying if you don't believe in something apparent or obvious even even if you don't have kind of uh, any uh, faith or whatever, the, uh, there is that nagging doubt that, hey, maybe, maybe my body dies and I just carry on living in limbo forever. Um, I think it's something we all think about at various points in our life. Uh, but here he is an actual hideous slug creature as well with no company, just to add insult to injury. Um, but in the game, <laughs> well, uh, depending on your path up to this point, the idea is you've still got everyone still if you've solved everyone's puzzle game mini game you've got them all back here for chapter six and you get a number of attempts and indeed you need to they don't exactly team up but one by one they go in and and have a different uh kind of experience within this area of am um i found this all a bit confusing and bizarre and i probably relied on the walkthrough too much to fully grasp what was going on but my main issue with it is that compared to the the story the original story which has this yes not not even original for the time but incredibly powerful and sort of resonant ending the game you can have a good ending where there's people left alive on the moon and am's, <laughs> am's lost and it's like it's so far away from from the text that it's almost like wh- how is this part of the same so the canonical ending as i say you end up with you which you can achieve sort of is end up with ted as as the creature i ended up with ellen as the creature um which hardly seems fair but there it was, and I left it at that, and I watched the the good ending on YouTube. So how does everyone feel about this? Who managed to get through it without looking at a walkthrough? God, no. Nope. Nope. God, yeah, definitely not. I got through, you know, the first fraction. Uh, like, I would wander around until I got stuck, but definitely was not yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, shy at all, because I do not respect this game. Um, and and <laughs> honestly, right, and you know, a third of the time I would see the answer, I'd be like, Oh, I should have thought of that, but two thirds of that time, I'd yes. be like, Fine, what? yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is a point where I was like saving every screen because I kept coming into things that you'd just talk to one of the three figments of Am's, um, like Psyche, is it Psyche? Yes, the, um, the ego, yeah, and the super, ego. And yeah, the Freudian. If you spent you know, <laughs> yeah, like if you said specific things to each of them, um, they would end up killing you. And I'm not, I'm not entirely sure the like all of the ins yeah. and outs of it, but I think the idea is if you manage to do each of the five characters' scenarios in their uh, their best possible way, mm-hmm. when they spawn into this final section, they'll have a specific item mm-hmm. um, in their inventory, which is 
It'd be like totems, a, yeah. yeah, like a book of forgiveness, or well, the forgiveness might be one of the standard ones, but like a, a totem of valor or a totem of courage or something yeah. like that. And the idea for each of the five of them is you play a fairly short section where you raise up this pillar out of the ground. And I think you can do, you can get to the point where you raise the pillar for all of them. Mm-hmm. And then if you've got the specific totem, you apply the totem to the pillar. And then it's implied, I think, that when you then keep touching the pillar and it electrocutes them, if you've applied the totem to it, then they get kind of a, a, a sort of a, I don't know what the right way Properly to killed? Yeah, like an absolution, maybe. I mean, I had yeah, okay, yeah. I had four of them who I'd managed to get through successfully, and then Nimdok who didn't have his totem. So Nimdok basically he you can get to the point where you raise the pillar out of the ground, yeah, and then yeah, he yeah. just kept touching it until he died. And then there was the text at the end about how he'd actually gone to hell instead of had his had his yeah. kind of died with his conscience clear or whatever. But all of the mm-hmm. other four, uh, or the uh, yeah the other four got their pillars up applied the totems to them and then once that's done you can talk to these weird manifestations of the chinese and russian versions of am who for some reason mm. are different entities in this section of the game and mm. they will tell you to go and talk to one of the portions of am psyche in i think in my case they told me to go and talk to the ego which you mm. can do and then you can come back and talk to them again. Oh, you you talk to the ego and apply one of the totems to. I think the ego is the one that the conversation revolves around. You want to hurt me, don't you? Will you hurt me? Yes, I will hurt you if you let me. Blah blah blah. And you can apply this totem of forgiveness to it, which kind of it's it's this. I guess it's a fairly common trope with like robotics of um, kind of break that law that they don't understand like you know what's the the thing about um mm. you know explaining something to a like an impossible question to a robot or a machine or something its head explodes but you give this sort of you you tell this um ego that you forgive it despite it wants mm. to hurt you and it's it's just sort of says oh, i don't understand this concept this is a bizarre a bizarre thing to me and then if you do that and go back and talk to the uh, the other versions of the computer again they kind of say, oh, yes, well, that's fine. You've done what we asked you to do. And then it, it, they say, like, oh, the master will do with you what they want. And that then gives you the bad ending with whichever character you saved until the end. But there's yeah. there's multiple other ways that I was in that situation uh, at the end of the game with the last character and died either by, um, you know, dared the ego to hurt me and it did and just killed I think it was Ellen I was playing as. And then you get that exact same ending where she's turned into the slug or you grab hold of her pillar and it kills her and it turns her into the slug and it's the text is exactly the same. Or you go back to the the computers when you've done two of them instead of one of the portions. It feels like treading on eggshells at that point if you're not using a walkthrough. And there's loads of Sierra death after Sierra death. (laughs) But yeah, and if if you've done... If you've gone and spoken to all three of the portions of the psyche and given them the items that they need to, I guess, confuse them or show them a, a element of humanity that they don't understand, then you go back and even though you've you've still contradicted what the the other computers asked you to do, and in theory the ending should be no different from if you spoke to none of them or two of them and went there. Yeah. Then you get this extra ending which 
doesn't really make any sense anyway. This is where the... Uh, you see all of the little... The areas that the characters were in in their own personal hells kind of explode. And then the, the yeah. whoever's left over ends up in charge of this moon base full of human survivors yeah. that we didn't know about until no. just a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> and they're now like the curator of what remains of humanity. And there's some It's going to take 300 about, years, right? Yeah, it's going like, to, to terraform, yeah. and they're going to be the overseer waiting for humanity to come back because uh, there's 750 people, which is, you know, enough, I suppose. Uh, it's very nonsensical like you didn't there was none of these stakes were apparent until just no. recently that's none the amazing what, thing right yeah. is the original story actually has stakes even though all other people are dead right because in the original story you're with these characters and the stakes are are they trapped in hell forever right or can they essentially yeah. escape and by dying mm -hmm. uh and so you're you're in it and and also it is 13 pages and you read it in about 15 or 20 minutes and you know it's a very, oh, by the way, I found on the Wikipedia talk pages one of the top ten most reprinted in science fiction anthologies. So that okay, was the, that was the, the the resolving. And right, whereas here, I got the good ending, and I actually was a little annoyed because I got with my second character because I was kind of just you know using the walkthrough and uh, and I wasn't able to see the other characters do their bit with their pillars, and I just kind of talked to the three. Uh, you go super ego. I had all the totems because I get. I didn't realize you didn't actually get those uh, with the worst endings, but that makes sense. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, and it was very silly. And um, and yeah, that is the like. This just really falls in this uncanny valley because it is trapped trying to stay with this adaptation. Yeah. But if at the beginning it's like everyone in the world is dead, but there is like here's your mission. Not a great story, but like fine. Uh, and right, this is just the weirdest. Yeah, again, unclear with Ellison even knew about this. Um, mm. And uh, I, you know, it's uh, it's a it's a travesty in the pure descriptive sense of the word. I not mm. like I'm not emotional about it, but yeah, it is. Sure. It's, it's obviously yeah. just a travesty. I think you can get the good ending with almost every character, but there's a nice little mechanical reason why you can't get it with nimdok and that is because you need to like to unlock the bridge you have to enter a password that only he knows and so then he has to go in first essentially and so you know you can't progress through the entire kind of chain of events that are needed to get the good yeah. ending so he can't be the the last remaining kind of intelligence uploaded to the computer overseeing the reconstruction of humanity because Having a uh, Nazi scientist, even a reformed <laughs> one, um, as this uh, this god figure at that point wouldn't really be a uh, mm. much of a step up. The good ending. <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of that would be. Yeah, you end up with the those what's there's there's almost like a sub genre of fiction, which is the Nazis on the moon. <laughs> uh, there's been films and stories all about it, uh, and and in Wolfenstein, of course. Uh, yeah, so you'd have ended with that. That would not be a good ending. Um, I mean, in the that sense as much as i would love to agree with that there is definitely youtube footage of an ending with nimdok being the oh really the person who's <laughs> on the moon yeah i don't know oh, how no. it works wow. <laughs> i have to assume that one of the other characters can maybe unlock the bridge like i did this with ellen last and i managed to um 
get stuck in a screen where I think the game thought that I'd clicked on the computer terminal um, while I was walking around the area. Hang on. And one of the options she got was type in like 2012 as the password. And I don't know if it, was it would have actually worked. 1945 was the password you needed. Yeah. Apparently they'll get it if you eventually anyway. But um, I, I, I'm now thinking about it though, within the, within the context of games that they were uh, endings that they wrote for the game, perhaps the one, the deep irony of the ending where the Nazi scientist is in charge of the future of humanity is in some ways the best, <laughs> like the cool, the coolest, funniest, darkest, most future shocky twilight zone ending is, uh, we've defeated Am. Now what? Oh, <laughs> I always read that ending as kind of like the implication of, you know, with, um, absolute power corrupts absolutely that after 300 years whoever's consciousness is uploaded is going to be as evil and statistic as am um that was uh, kind of the implication yeah, yeah, i took yeah. from it but there's nothing in the text that like necessarily spells that out mm. Mm. now i mean i got gorister for that good ending and just the voice acting of it didn't right it made it sound like he's you know optimistically looking towards the future and etc like pretty okay like I'm gonna be a good overseer, not not. What does into a uh, yeah? Because ben, Benny's still able to kind of share thoughts with monologue, uh, monologue isn't he? So it, I was going to say, yeah. otherwise it would have just been like Benny going, <laughs> "I'm in charge of humanity. <laughs> it's a monkey," and then we'd have had Planet of the Apes. This ties in so to so many different fictions. Uh, the Baboon Baron is our other correspondent who says, "I have no mouth and I must scream." Is an interesting but ultimately flawed game in my view. If we can start with the subject matter, Ellison's book of the same name is Absolute Nightmare Fuel, a fantastical and far-reaching bit of sci-fi horror that speaks of the time it was written and a deep and haunting existential threat. It also discusses the horror of eternal life, the fear of AI, Cold War terror joylessly bouncing off Cartesian philosophy. It's great! The game's very existence is pretty remarkable. It beats a similar path to the book by being quite highbrow and allegorical, two things that rarely generate sales, a massive undertaking and very dense subject matter to imbue a point and click with. War and Peace as an FPS, anyone? I found the logic difficult throughout, needing to use guides quite regularly to get as far as I did. Full disclosure, I never made it to the end, but I assume it's pretty a pretty bleak conclusion to no matter what path you choose. I agree with earlier correspondent Kanlich uh, that the characters of Ellen and Nimdok leave a lot to be desired by today's standards. And while there are several very mature themes, the execution came across as clumsy and disjointed, lacking the heart of other point and clicks, as well as the tension of the horror setting needs. An interesting time capsule to 1995 and a vital step in the staircase of horror, immersive gaming and sci-fi dystopia. But that said, its flaws gleam in today's light, and the characters definitely do not hold up. Uh, always already mentioned some other adaptations, but not this one. The comic artist John Burns scripted and drew a comic book adaptation for issues one to four of the Harlan Ellison's Dream Corridor comic book published by Dark Horse in 94 to 95. The Byrne illustrated story, however, did not appear in the collection uh, ha entitled Harlan Ellison's Dream Corridor. 1996 the 1999 uh audio collection i have no mouth and i must scream with ellison himself doing the readings i haven't checked out if those are now available legit or otherwise feel free to seek it and as i mentioned uh the 2002 actually 
radio play of the same name, BBC Radio 4. That is on YouTube, the whole thing. Uh, I would say that the voice acting is considerably <laughs> above the standard of the game. Curiously, though, Ted is played by David Soul of Starsky and Hutch fame, the American British actor, which is and a pop it's true. singer. And a, a pop singer. Hits. True. He had a few hits. He was big, big over here. Just the one three word review then, uh, unsurprisingly, perhaps for a 25 year old niche and quite difficult <laughs> point and click adventure. Difficult in various senses of the word. Simon Nelson gives us intense, bleak, depressing. <laughs> Always good for a video game to be depressing. No, I mean, you know, we we embrace all types here on Cana Rinse and that's part of the fun. And sometimes these curios are the most interesting to discuss. Now, uh, let us round up with our feelings and thoughts, our takeaways and or recommendations from I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Let's start with, well, I think, Jesse, you've probably been the most negative. Oh, good. Uh, well, I mean, in a sense, I, I did. I Probably. I, I, you know, having seen the description of it as bleak and depressing and intense, I, I did approach this with some trepidation, given that this year has been trying, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I had, as I said, I did appreciate this as kitsch. Um, and I do think that it falls right. The, I mentioned Police Quest, also the Activision game Alter Ego from like 86 or yeah. 87. This, mm -hmm. I would put this in the same category. Those are two games that I do not make key games in my 80s class, but I do you know, have a slide or two of them refer to and have in the other games folder. And I do talk about, I was like, look, this is both kind of representatively mediocre, but competent in a way that tells you something about the time. And in content terms, it's just hilariously wrongheaded in a way that is very specific and really tells you about the time. Uh, and there's there's value in that. Uh, I don't listen to a lot of bad books or bad movies podcasts, but occasionally they'll have a guest on I enjoy or whatever. So I've, you know, sampled a half dozen episodes from a few and certainly mm. playing through this game. I was like, this reminds me way more of something I would hear on one of those shows than any other game I've played for Kane and Rinse because right. it is it's juicy. Like you can mock if if. Someone has some podcasts where, you know, they got little cute segments with jingles where they talk about why this is terrible. You got a lot of work with here. Uh, you'll have a lot of fun. Uh, and but as I said, like, if you do want to play this and it is fairly playable, especially with a, a walkthrough, I'd say I'd say start with Ted. See if you enjoy that, which is, as I said, just kind of like a straightforward, like BB plus point and click adventure, essentially. Uh, and if you like that, then you can, you know, venture into the rest of this um, or watch a, You know, if there is a funny person who's done a let's play, I'm sure that would be very entertaining. You know, if you play this with someone else who has a, a similarly, uh, uh, you know, destroyed sense of humor by the horrors of online uh, you'll probably find this fairly amusing. Uh, and I, I will say one thing. I do not play horror games. I tend to stay away from things that do I find traumatizing or, or too scary or going to linger with me. Uh, absolutely nothing in this is going to linger with me at all except for those amazing uh, emoji faces that I'm going to keep posting on the Slack. <laughs> I look forward to it. Yeah, I'll hold you to that. Yeah, I think our first correspondent used the phrase mixed and uh that's a, a word that keeps coming to mind for me i don't know that i would say that 
enjoyed this game, but it certainly got right into my head. Problems and all, and the original text, which are, you know, it, it is, I do would consider it problematic, but it's also got some, some really evocative prose in there and some really resonant ideas. And I, you know, I tend to really gravitate towards the, the darkest and most horrific sci-fi and it certainly ticks those boxes unfortunately some of the some of the ideas contained within are horrible perhaps for the the wrong authorial reasons rather than the the contextual ones that the the book wants to make you think about i don't know or maybe maybe that was just part of ellison's desire to horrify and to to make you consider the, the the grimness of what he considered to be humanity and existence um as a it, it, again going back to the uh let's take all emotion and and um, politics out of games uh this is a functional if sometimes frustrating mid-90s point and click adventure um but it won't give you a laugh in well it might and it might give you a an unintentional laugh here or there depending on your sense of humor it may possibly turn your stomach um but yes, I come away wanting to kind of know more about the author, even though I think I'm probably just not necessarily going to like what I find. He's obviously been influential um, in a lot of ways on a lot of fiction that we know. Um, but back to the game, would I recommend it? Well, for the under a pound that I paid for it, you might as well. Um, but... Uh, I don't necessarily know that many people would actually go through the whole gamut of, of playing the, you know, eight to 10 hours or whatever of, of doing the game start to finish and getting an ending. But yeah, I don't know where I come down on it really, but it was very, very interesting. And for that reason, I'm glad I played it problems and everything. Ryan. Yeah. I'm kind of about the same. I feel like there's, you know, kind of of those, other reference points that I, I touched on early in the episode of Harvester and Phantasmagoria and games like that, like those, once those are done, they're games that I can't wait to just forget about entirely. You know, there's just like unpleasantries in there that I just, you know, just want to want to move beyond in my life. And that's not really my feeling coming out of this one. Like I, I, I feel like ever after having finished this, there is still a lot that I'm kind of thinking about and chewing upon, even if it's the most kind of basic, you know, there's this kind of existential horror of eternal mm, torture, mm. this, this, you know, going yeah. back to like the biblical hell idea, like this is like a really yeah. good personification of what it means to be eternally tortured in a way that's like, that's a difficult concept to like really come to terms with or to really kind of personify in any, any way. Um, so I wouldn't say that this game is unsuccessful in in doing that, I think that it makes up for its, like, I wouldn't call it like a needlessly edgy game just because it does have that root in, um, in like really kind of smart science fiction philosophy. And I'd say that, you know, for a medium video games as a whole, for a medium that is, you know, so kind of deeply entrenched in nerd culture, <laughs> um, it is kind of surprising having played this game reflecting how little science fiction like 
meaty science fiction there actually is in video mm. games that like it's yeah. mostly you think mass effect and stuff like that's mostly science fantasy which no disrespect well space just opera, like yeah. entirely yeah, different sure. things and so it is kind of neat yeah, to come yeah. to this this one you know weird obscure game that does feel like classic science fiction you know the kind that like really mm. keeps you like waking up at night and not being satisfied with any of your mental takeaways and and so you know mm. like on that extent i would say it's not really successful as a game it's not really successful as a visual work certainly there's a lot of things componently that like are not successful in my opinion about it but overall like i really really praise the ambition of it i love what they were going for i love the fact that they're trying to do something more than just shock people with uh with a really grim dark game um i'm you know i'm really uh i'm really appreciative that this exists i'm glad to have played it and i think that if you are curious about it um whether you're following a walkthrough, whether you're watching it, whether you are going in and trying to play it blind, understanding that there might be a few times when you have to repeat quite a bit of content. Um, I think it's worth experiencing at least in part. Uh, but you know, it's, I think I got more out of the core premise of the game that is delivered pretty similarly in the first like 20 minutes. And so if you are going to like, if you're just, the tiniest bit curious and know that you don't have the patience for the entire game, even just kind of like flipping it on and just hearing the kind of exchanges between am his kind of uh, mocking introductions of each of the characters. Like, I think that gives you kind of an enough interesting um, material to kind of chew on for a little bit, even if you don't want to go through the entire game. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's cheap. It's, uh, I, I admire the ambition. Not sure it entirely got there, but uh, I'm glad that I played it. Thanks, Ryan. And uh, well, why did he make us play it? Does, is he glad that he did, John? Um, unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be any more positive than any of the rest of you. That's um, fine. That's fine. certainly. I mean, Ryan might actually have more nice things that he said than than I'm about to. Uh, yeah, I I really struggled um, with just with my thoughts and trying to get my uh my kind of emotions in gear about this like i i remember liking playing this nearly 20 years ago i think it would be a bit of a stretch to say that i liked or enjoyed this um this last couple of weeks um i think the the discussion about the game the reading of the the short story the what's basically what could be you know the plot summary of the game and the other things the other stories that i've read by ellison are probably all more interesting and more more compelling than actually what has been created with the game like there's nothing that i think is is out and out bad about it but there's also nothing that's spectacularly good the yeah the the plot of the game is better as the as the 13 page short story um it kind of fumbles less it has less ridiculousness it doesn't suffer from the the weird tropes of turning it into an eight hour long video game i think ellison himself comes across better as writing short stories and to be perfectly honest 
uh, this collection I read that had, I think, seven stories in it. Um, there are probably four or five of those stories that I enjoyed more than I actually enjoyed. Mm. I have no mouth. Like he kind of, it, it's almost a, an outlier amongst his other writing. Like he's more mm. kind of sci-fi, um, maybe not like hard sci-fi, but kind of that sci-fi fantasy element. Like the other stories were more to mm. my liking. I think, I mean, I, I like the horror. I like the, the bleakness i like the um you know look at uh what a sort of a personal type uh type of hell could be for multiple different characters but mm. i think that the game gets a bit too kind of flabby and it just gets to the point where it stumbles over itself and it turns um from being what i think the the horror of the original story um turns itself into a little bit of a parody and uh, probably doesn't do it any favours, especially by trying to have a positive ending um, and add in all of these ridiculous things that were just never part of uh, the original vision as far as we know. So I, it's, it's disappointing to say that I don't think I could really recommend this. It's not bad. It's just not that great and it's probably not as good as just reading the basic plot summary of of the game or as ryan says like starting it up and hearing the monologue that am gives and his taunting of the characters and maybe like see what each of their scenarios is is kind of the best of this and that's yeah like like i said i'm i'm not I'm not pleased to say that I can't really recommend it as an entire product, but it, it kind of outstays its welcome for me. No, that's absolutely fine. I I think uh, I normally put the person who uh, put the game forward last, regardless sure. of how positive or negative they are. And sometimes it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting if, if the person, because when we nominate games, it's not, it's not necessarily a case of, Oh my God, you guys have all got to play this. It's more, it's, it's, it's generally way more nuanced and, and sort of interesting than, than that. It's like the game that I think it would be most interesting to talk about rather than the one that you're desperate to make everyone play. So yeah, that's kind uh, of where I went. Appreciated. It's like for the, um, the obscurity that this, you would expect a game like this to have. There is a huge amount of um, like YouTube content of uh, let's plays and oh, um, gosh, yeah, video yeah, essays yeah. and stuff like way yeah. more than I would expect from a an outlandish vis- um, point and click mm. from the mid nineties by a, a virtually unknown company. Yeah. Well, there it is. Another retro obscurity covered. So it remains for me, Leon, to thank Jesse, John, Ryan, editor Jay, our correspondents, and of course to you for listening. And to tell you that next time, in issue 443, maybe some existential angst or not, we'll find out with Tetris Effect and Tetris 99.